is good on a day like today to celebrate one another. Um, and on a, on a month that is dedicated to pastor appreciation, I speak for our ministry team when we say we appreciate you as well. Thank you so much for your kindness and your expressions of love for us this month. But be warned, we get those all year long from you. Uh, and it is such a gift to be able to serve and to lead uh, in this place uh, for you. Uh, and so we are grateful um, for the chance to, to serve. Do you guys hear that noise? Okay, I'm not sure what that's coming from. Okay, we're, we're, we're working on it. I don't know where it's coming from. So if I need to change microphones, do you want me to change Eric? Okay, sounds good. Um, it's good to uh, be in the house of the Lord today, and thank you for, for joining us uh, and being part of our, our church family. Uh, I invite you today to turn to the gospel text for this week, which is found in Matthew uh, chapter 22. Uh, we continue our journey through Matthew um, as it is uh, taking us through this week uh, of Jesus' life, um, and we've kind of been on the same path and, and tracking with Jesus' movements here um, the week before, uh, between between Palm Sunday and uh, the events that will lead to his crucifixion uh, on Passion Week. Uh, and so here we, we continue with kind of the banter between Jesus and some of the, the temple leaders uh, and the teachers of the law. Um, so I invite you today, uh, as you turn in your Bibles or point your devices to Matthew chapter 22, uh, we'll be re starting uh, in verse 34 and reading through 46. I invite you, as you're able, to stand uh, for the reading of God's word this morning. Reading from the Gospel of Matthew, starting chapter 22, uh, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the San the Sadducees, speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now as the Pharisees were gathering, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? David's son, they replied. He said, This is this then how is it that David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, called him Lord when he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I turn your enemies into your footstool. If David calls him Lord, how can he be David's son? Nobody was able to answer him. And from that day forward, nobody dared to ask him anything. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. So there is a, <clears throat> there's an unfortunate and cruel reality in the world which has affected probably just about every one of us. Almost every one of us. Hope, I, I, don't, I don't wish to, to injure you today or to trigger any one of you this morning, but I confess this might do it. It might stir up some painful memories. What am I speaking about? I'm speaking about the recess playground and the choosing of teams. So painful. It's terrible. Uh, the two best players, or at least the two most vocal players, 
Who do they become? The captains. And then lined up <laughs> like a line of refugees or something. I don't know. Um, the, the, the rest of the players are, are lined up on, on the field uh, and the, the teams are selected. Uh, their army of soldiers with whom they wish to go, go to battle. The captains start selecting their teams, right? And inevitably, it's just a law of numbers. It's just how subtraction works. When you subtract one and one more and one more, someone is last. And it's painful. Woe to the game with an odd number of kids that want to play, right? And then there's always that one kid who, who, who's adamant that the teams must be even, right? The teams must be even. Okay, so I speak from memory on this. This, this comes out of a traumatic experience in my own life. Um, it, was a game of, it was a game on the playground. Um, I'm not, I don't remember if it was football or soccer. I think I was in third or fourth grade. Um, and I was the one that was picked last. I was the one, that, and I remember it vividly to this day. And there was that kid, the kid that wanted the teams to be even. When you're the, when you're the last one and, and somebody wants the teams to be even, do you know what that kid has to do? I got to be referee. I didn't want to be referee. I wanted to be quarterback. I wanted to be captain. I didn't want to be referee. What did I do? I became the most annoying referee ever. There was a foul on every play. I wanted to interrupt the course of the whole game because I had been picked last. So sad. This passage has these two different types of school kids at play this, this morning. There's really a combination of, of passages here that, that really don't make sense together, or at least when they're lined up together, you've got one that's just amazing. The greatest commandment, Jesus, boy, boil this down for us to, to one essential commandment. What can we do? How does this thing work? How can we live our life? Sum it up for us. And Jesus gives this great answer. A lot, lots of Bible scholars think they were talking about the Ten Commandments, right? Which, which of the Ten Commandments were greatest? And Jesus says, no, it's not, it's not found there. And speaks from what's called the Shema, or, or a line in, in the law that was spoken over and over and, and memorized often. He talks about loving God with all your heart and all your being and all your mind. Your complete self, the total sum of who you are, being in love with God. That's what it looks like. That's the law. That's the greatest commandment. But then he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. Jesus says, oh, and, and by the way, the, the second is, is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> this is great. Um, you know, who, who are your neighbors? Uh, talk about your, your, your neighborhood neighbors, the people who live next to you. Talk about your church family, your church neighbors, the neighborhood in which we're located, the neighborhood of our town, of our country and of our world. God's call in our lives is to love them and to reach out to them too. I'm still getting that popping noise. Are you guys getting that too? Is it on this? I do. Let's just jump over here. If you mute that other channel, will it go away? Oh, that's so much better. All right, we're going to get that figured out, but this is going to be better for today.
this is the captain of the team. This passage, this section of the passage is the captain of the team. It's the one that's so great. It's so profound. It's so essential to who we are and how we live as followers of Christ. That's the one that's picked first. <laughs> then there's this obscure text. There's this, the, the Messiah and his relationship with David, like the kid picked last. I mean, who would preach about that? with this other beautiful text. Well, that's where I'd like to start today. So we're going to start with this, with this obscure text, okay? As we look at Matthew, it's important as we do so to remember that Matthew is the gospel that's given to the Jews, that's written for the Jews, that trying to help the Jews understand and encounter the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a lot of ways, as we read through Matthew, we discover that Matthew is, is kind of a retelling of Israel's story in and, and through the lens of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, by that, the, the gospel writer is trying to help, uh, help frame the story of, of God's reaching out to humanity through the journey of the nation of Israel, uh, through the story and ministry of Christ come alive for, for the nation of Israel and for the people who had always followed Yahweh. But there was this huge problem for the Jews of Messiah. How is Messiah a problem? Messiah was supposed to help. Messiah was, was a good thing for Israel. Messiah is the person who they had, had waited for for their whole lives, and for centuries had been talked about, Messiah is coming and Messiah will make the difference. Passion Week started with Jesus' entry in Jerusalem. You remember, you remember the story, the people cut off palm branches as he came into town. They laid down their cloaks and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The 118th Psalm was, was quoted, and, and as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the celebration in the city was profound and, and echoed through the streets. And yet Jesus had a different agenda. Jesus had a different agenda as he came into Jerusalem. And instead of going up to Herod's temple and saying, we're not going to be ruled by Rome any longer. He went to the temple and said, this was supposed to be a house of worship. I was reading um, and it, this week, and William Barclay in his commentary on Matthew says two profound things about this passage. The first thing he says is this, seen in this gospel time and time again that, that Jesus refused to allow his followers to proclaim him as the Messiah until he had taught them what messiahship meant. That Jesus refused and refused time and time again for, for his followers to proclaim his, uh, him as Messiah until he taught them what messiahship meant. A lot of times in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is referred to as son of man or son of David. And number two, the second thing he wrote is this. Unfortunately, the Messiah was most commonly thought of in nationalistic, political, and military terms of power and glory. 
that this is what they thought the Messiah would be about. This is what they thought the Messiah would do. This is just a, a fascinating thought for, for me about what Jesus was doing on earth. Yes, he was, he was caring for and ministering to the people of, of Israel. You see, time and time again in the Gospels, he was going and healing people and caring for them, talking to the outcasts, proclaiming God's love for people. But at the same time, his efforts were intentionally pointed at reshaping their understanding of who and what Messiah is so that he could be proclaimed a Messiah with a proper understanding, reorienting their views from, from hundreds of years of tradition and thought and expectation. And he does it with a riddle. <laughs> Jesus says this, so this, so this Messiah guy, whose son is he? And the, the legal experts were like, oh, oh, I know this one, I know this one. They need to stop doing that when they're talking to Jesus. I know this one. Son of David. And Jesus says, okay, good answer. That's right. But what about Psalm 110? That's where this passage comes from. If you look in, the, in your little footnotes down at the bottom of your Bible, it says this comes from, from Psalm 110 where he says this, the Lord, this is God, this is Yahweh, who they worshiped, says to my Lord, who was Messiah, all right, so this is a psalm of David. And just so that we follow, the Lord, who was God, who was Yahweh God, says to my Lord, who had become, in their understanding of the 110th psalm, had become known as the Messiah, was speaking about Messiah, sit at my right hand. And so, and so Jesus has him in, in this little riddle here. If David calls Messiah my Lord, how can Messiah also be called David's son? For the Jewish culture, for one who, who was known as an ancestor of David, there was such respect for those earlier generations, for those people that came before. How could Messiah be called Lord? of David, if David was his ancestor, if David was his father. And that goes back to, to what they taught and how they taught that older generations should be treated. It stumps them. <laughs> They're like, I, I, I don't know. Embarrassed. Stumped. In front of the crowd that had been at temple, the people who had been watching this exchange, uh, there had been several moments of this along the way. They decide to be quiet and instead go another route to keep Jesus from spreading what he was teaching and begin to plot to have him killed by the end of the week. So I've always, I've always heard, I've always known these exchanges between Jesus and the leaders at the temple that, that they were embarrassing, that they were convinced that, that as, they, as he embarrassed them in front of the crowds that they probably got angry. They probably said, we don't want this guy around. But I'm more convinced than ever that this wasn't just about being embarrassed in front of the people. It wasn't just about being proved wrong and, and how, they, how they just couldn't handle that and, and that that was threatening for them. But what I'm convinced is this, read, 
there was at work a redefinition of what the kingdom meant in Jesus' words. That the influence of the kingdom had nothing to do with power, had nothing to do with influence, had nothing to do with control, had nothing to do with status, which is exactly what these temple leaders had enjoyed for their whole ministry. For Jesus, it was about love. For their whole lives, their whole ministries, the priorities had been tradition, had been lineage, had been authority, had been status. And Jesus messes this all up. The deconstruction of the temple leaders of view of proper worship and priorities of the kingdom had to be disorienting for them. And more so than being embarrassed, a day will come, a day will go, when the temple leaders were like, ah, we didn't know how to answer his question. You know, whose son, who, who's the son of who here? Why did he call him my Lord? That was just a riddle that stumped them. But Jesus is speaking about the undoing of authority and where power comes from. That's what leads us back and connects us to Jesus' description of the greatest commandments. To love. To love God. To love others. To love. We're in a season when, when in, our, in our nation today, where issues kind of become really important to our country. We, we, uh, we, we want to see this happen, or we don't want to see this happen. Uh, this or that is really important, and, and this or this, this other thing are, are less important to us. And all of these things are important as we consider uh, our right and, and our, our participation in what it means to, to be a part of, of this country during this election season. And, and participating in that way is, is so important. But, but as, I was, as I was thinking about this this week and looking at the text that we're, that we're considering this week, I, I heard someone make a statement that, that just caught my attention. It just caught my attention and, and so illustrates what I think Jesus was doing in this moment. I, I think that a lot of times we get we get caught up in, in electing the right the right person or having the right viewpoint or, or passing the right laws and all of that's really important. But the quote that I heard said this: the strategy that actually works in making a difference for the lives of the people around us flows through love and not power. The strategy that makes the difference for our neighbor, the strategy that makes a difference for our nation flows through love and not power. Sometimes today, and I say we, but I should probably say me, sometimes I still get caught in the same game of, that they were caught in centuries ago that these, these temple leaders got caught in that says, if we just have control, if we just can do the right things, 
have the right to make the decision or hold the power. And I think Jesus flowed through a different direction, the direction of love, the direction of caring for one another. When the temple leader came to him, when the lawyer came and said, tell me, what's the most important commandment? He took a left turn and said, with all of who you are, love God, love Him with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind. Throw your whole self in. It's like the hokey pokey, right? Put your whole self in to loving God. And then you know those people that you walk alongside of? Love them too. Just as you would yourself. The truth is when we get to the end of power and control, of lineage, of status, of achievement, when we've taken those as far as they can go, we're still left with love. And we won't get as far on that track as we will, as love. This lawyer came and said, what is most important? What should we prioritize in our teaching and instruction? How do we lead these people in authentic worship? And Jesus says love, to love God and to love others. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It was later that week that I think Jesus gives us the greatest example of love, of what it means to love. Um, later that week, he would gather with his disciples, all 12 of them, it says in Matthew. It makes a point to say he gathered with 12 disciples, Judas included, the one who would betray him and shares meal with them, and breaks bread, and institutes what we have come to know as communion or the Eucharist. And today we're going to have a chance to share in that. I'm going to ask the praise team and those that are prepared to serve to come on forward. It was in that moment that, that Jesus said, my love for you is unconditional. God's love for you is unconditional. That this is how the kingdom of God is expressed. It was in that meal that he took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and shared with them the love of God that is so beautiful and has the power to change the world one person at a time and isn't dependent upon status. or lineage, or power, or control. As we participate and as we remember this sacrament today, um, I want to I let you know in the Church of the Nazarene, we, pr we practice what's called open communion, which means if you have, have made a decision in your heart to follow this Jesus, this one that said, love is the way, love is the greatest commandment, 
And we invite you, if you're willing and if, you're, if you wish to do so, to participate with us in sharing this meal. How we're going to do this in light of COVID and, and all the precautions that we're taking, um, we know that there may be some that choose not to, to participate. You can indicate that you would like to participate uh, when it's time by standing or raising your hand, and our servers will actually come to you. Um, if you hold out your hand, they'll place a small piece of bread in your hand, and then with a gloved hand, hand you a cup of juice as we participate in this sacrament together. If you choose not to participate, please stay seated, um, and they w- or don't raise your hand, and they will um, they will just pass you by, um, knowing that it's not it's not uh, anything that you're not communicating anything by that. But we just want to be as safe as we can, um, but I'll also allow those that wish to participate in this. Uh, to do so. Um, Our bread is gluten-free for those with gluten sensitivities. Um, But let's commemorate once again this meal that Jesus instituted um, just days after he shared what he saw as the two greatest commands, to love God and to love neighbor. Let me pray for us. And then I'll invite you to stand or raise your hand if you wish to participate. Jesus, we worship you today. You are so good to us in this moment as we remember this meal that you shared with your disciples. Would you meet us? Would you share your grace with us today? Would you remind us of the power of love? loving you and loving neighbor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those who wish, would you please stand or raise a hand? Father, today we, we worship you and we ask that you're, you would help us to live that way. to dedicate our whole being to to loving you and to opening our eyes to the neighbors around us that we might love them. Would you help us to live that way, I pray. And be your representatives. Be reconcilers in this world. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you extend your hands this morning to receive the benediction as we go? May our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, go with you out into the world to love, loving God and loving our neighbor, and may the light of Christ shine in us and through us. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.